This is the PR Pod, the podcast that brings you expert tips for working in PR and finding your niche. With your host, Brooke Burns. Welcome to the PR Pod, the essential podcast for emerging public relations professionals. Many of you have probably dreamed of taking your PR career overseas. So in this episode, I'm chatting with two people who have done just that with a focus on moving to Australia and England. We'll give you some insight into how to make that transition as seamless as possible, tips for establishing media relationships in a new country, plus how to have a competitive edge when applying for jobs. I'm joined by Ishta Schneider and Laura Craggs, both Associate Directors at Edelman in London. Ladies, welcome to the PR Pod. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. No problem. So both of you have moved around a little bit in your career and Australia and England are a part of that. Ishta, you went from the US to Australia, Australia to England. Laura, you were England, Australia, back to England. And I also went from Australia to England for four or five years to work in PR before I came back to Australia. So I think there's a, a number of different experiences and insights, especially since my experience was um, a little, uh, uh, quite a while ago compared to yours. I went over to the UK in 2003, so quite a while ago. Um, Ishta, your first time to Australia was studying as part of your university or college experience. Is that right? How, how did that uh, studying abroad experience come about for you? Yeah, so it was actually my second um, time to Australia. So I had I have cousins that actually live in Sydney. So I had been once before and visited. And as you can imagine, I fell in love with Sydney. Um, and I, you know, I, I always imagined that I would come back at some stage. And when I was in uni, I had the opportunity to do a study abroad as part of my program. And two of the universities that uh, were options for me were London or Australia, because I'd already been, um, I kind of ended up choosing Sydney. And in terms of your internship experience, because you had an internship experience um, and that was at Edelman when you were at your abroad Sydney experience. Is that right? How did that come about? Was that a coordinated partnership between the agency and your university? Was that something that you went out and found? Yeah, so um, I did the Boston University Sydney program, um, which is kind of a sister school to my school, which is the University of San Francisco. And um, it was actually a really great program. So they do a half work and half study. So you take, you know, kind of Australian culture, Australian wine, you know, Australian history kind of classes. Um, And then you also do kind of a three day a week uh, internship program. And everyone's kind of in different industries. So finance, fashion, um, communications, and I had a really amazing internship advisor so they have different advisors that you get paired with and mine was this guy called um uh, called john who was an advertising man from way back and he had a lot of great really great contacts and he kind of asked us when we all got there you know what were we interested in getting experience in when we were in sydney and i said you know i'd never worked for a really big pr agency and i'd love to to kind of get experience there and so that's kind of where the opportunity with edelman came about and i ended up going for an interview and um i got the the internship and i started kind of a week later and it was great. Wow. I'll come back to your internship experience because I want to compare um, what that was like because I think you did one or or a couple of experiences when you were in the US. So I'd love to know how they were different for you from an internship perspective. Uh, But Laura, your transition to Australia came at a slightly different point in your career. You'd already had, what, five or six years of PR experience under your belt. What led you to coming to Australia? Was it the sun? (sighs) Yes, um, definitely the sun. I think I was also just looking for a new challenge. Um, I'd worked in kind of 
global comms and health global health comms for for five years and um i was looking for something different and i'd never really done local activation um and at the time i really wanted to travel and see the world a bit more um kind of weekends away in europe were great but i wanted to expand that a little bit so um decided that australia would be the best option for me because it was English speaking um, and I'm terrible at other languages so um, kind of started to research different agencies and um, different cities that I could potentially live in so um, it was really exciting um, and started off with a bit of a holiday first and then went into working which was um, a really nice ease into the working lifestyle. Yeah I bet in terms of how that first job came about, had you done a lot of uh, work in terms of researching recruitment agencies or just PR agencies or um, looking at jobs online before you left to come to Australia or did you do a lot of that when you arrived in the country? No, it was all of the above. I researched, um, spoke to people, emailed people well in advance of coming over. Um, I really wanted to understand the lay of the land and um, kind of get to grips with the different agencies and what they offered um, in terms of um, services um, and, you know, who focused on health, who didn't focus on health. Um, And I was also very, very lucky in that an old colleague from my London agency actually had moved and done the move a few years earlier and she was returning and introduced me to her um, her boss um, and I actually met with her when she was on holiday in the UK um, and had a bit of an interview um, in the UK so I was quite fortunate that I could set that up uh, well ahead of time um, and was able to kind of come to Australia knowing that I had a, a position and a role which was fantastic so um, but I would say it, it, it was very much um, research heavy I had pages and pages and pages of notes on different agencies and the different types of work they did and the clients that they had um, and then also I spoke to a number of really, really good recruiters um, that were very, very helpful as well. So that was, um, I think, beneficial. In terms of those chats with the recruiters, if you can, um, if you can recall, were they interested in talking to you when you're a certain number of weeks or months out from arriving in Australia? Do they kind of not want to have a bar of you until you were almost landed? Were they happy to chat a couple of months in advance? Do you recall what their preference was in terms of being contacted? Um, So I spoke to a couple of different ones and had a bit of a mixed reaction. Um, So I spoke to a lady called Lucinda, who was absolutely amazing. um, And she was happy to chat with me ahead of, you know, well ahead of time. um, And I spoke to her quite regularly um, over email and then had um, kind of more in-depth discussions as I was nearing the kind of the journey over. Um, I had a couple of people that was kind of like, oh, you know, it's way too early. Come back when you're, um, you know, closer to to landing. Um, So it was a bit of a mixed bag um, but I think with Lucinda she was very much focused on comms and healthcare comms um, and so she was really really keen to be as helpful as possible and um, you know she was fantastic for me um, she really really gave me good insight into the different agencies and um, kind of locations and, and things like that which was also um, I think quite important once I'd actually landed. Yeah I love Lucinda she was at Salt and Sheen. It sounds like it's important to find that as a resource um, Ishta, so tell me about your internship experience. Am I recalling that correctly? You had done an internship or two in the States before coming to Australia or at some point in your university degree, is that right? 
Yeah, definitely. So I had done a lot, actually, a lot of work experience and and uh, kind of internships before I had got got to Australia because at that stage I was in my final year of uni, and so you know I was I kind of knew at that time and definitely um, you know in the job market that there was in the U.S. that that would be really valuable for me. So I you know I had worked in in radio, I had um, done promotions, so for Warner Brothers and um, you know PR and comms. I dabbled in advertising because I thought maybe I'll just try that out. I did a bit of journalism. Journalism um, and that kind of thing in DC um, in a kind of a political journalism course. So yeah, I, I really wanted to kind of test the waters and see you know where I really landed. And what happened was I just kept coming back to PR. <laughs> so you know I did, was like maybe advertising, and then nope, uh, maybe journalism, nope. Um, and you know what I really landed on was that you know kind of comms and PR was the one for me. Um, so yeah, I had done um, quite a bit of, of of that before I ended up in Australia, which was great, and and, and it really served me well because I kind of knew a little bit of what to expect. You studied a PR degree or, or a communications degree, is that right? Yeah, I did actually. So I did a, a communications degree with a minor in public relations and a bit of advertising. So in terms of those internship experiences in the States and Australia, did you find anything noticeably different about those? Were they conducted in a different way? Do they have a different attitude towards interns in the US than they do towards Australia, for example? Yeah, I think you know, one of the biggest things for me is that was that in the US, an internship was usually minimum six months um, of working like nearly full time, right? Or, you know, kind of close to part to full time. And in in Australia, you know, I knew I knew people who were doing work experience for two weeks and it was like, you know, kind of a couple of days a week. And, you know, so that was that was a bit of a shift in terms of the the mindset. I think, um, you know, in the US, they, they'd fully treat you like an employee. And, you know, it's very, I would say almost a bit more rigid. Um, but Australia, you know, for me, the, the work life balance was just so much better. Um, they give you kind of things chunkier things to do because I was there I ended up being there for you know nearly four months and so for them that was a really long kind of work experience placement and so they were able to actually you know kind of embed me into different projects and and give me things to do which was really nice and and but you also had kind of a nice mix of you know going with the team to you know Darling Harbour for Melbourne Cup and you know work drinks and and that kind of thing is is not as much um or not not as prevalent I guess in in the U.S. um you tend to kind of go with your friends friends, your, your kind of outside of work friends versus, you know, kind of going for drinks, you know, on a Thursday or Friday or, or having a bar in the office. It's, you know, I think it's probably changed a bit now, but at the time that was, you know, for me, that was completely different. Laura, what did you find different about, you know, obviously you arrived in Australia having had five or six years of PR experience. So in terms of, I guess, uh, working in PR, what were the biggest differences or the most notable challenges from your perspective? I think the biggest differences between London and or kind of the UK and Australia is team size. Um, I'd come from an agency where the health team was, you know, 40 to 60 people at any one time. Um, And obviously the health teams in Australia are much smaller. Um, And I actually moved into a team originally that was um, 12 people. I think that was a benefit in is that you got to really know your colleagues. Um, and so I made, I've made lifelong friends and, you know, the girls that I originally worked with, I still chat to, I'm going to one of their weddings in a few months. So um, I, you know, I really think that that is um, a benefit in that the teams are smaller. Um, so you do get to make those relationships. I think the, um, the biggest difference, um, and I will say that for me personally, I think that 
the comms landscape in um, Australia and the UK is really, really similar. The only difference was that I was used to, um, I think, things like radio and TV selling. In the UK, you generally don't often do that as part of your day-to-day role. That's often outsourced to a specialist um, agency because the relationships there are so time intensive and um, it's not something that you can do alongside kind of the general comms that we um, would do in the UK. Um, So kind of getting into grips with um, radio and TV selling in Australia was, um, I think, the biggest challenge. Um, But again, I had a great team that had been doing it for years. And so um, a few quick lessons and, you know, you you kind of fly straight away. So for me, that was the biggest challenge and the biggest difference. Um, But on the whole, I think the UK and the Australian comms market are really, really similar. Ishtar, did you notice any key differences now, obviously having a, a English experience? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what, what Laura said in terms of the activation is definitely true. You know, when you're working on global projects, um, it's a lot of, you know, uh, messaging and toolkits and um, and giving it to the markets to then activate. Whereas when you're on in the countryside, on the market side, you get to do that activation, which is, you know, there's pros and cons to both. Um, but, you know... It, I really loved starting the other way around because I got to really get that experience on on how to activate, on how to, you know, to take that messaging and run with it and make, make it a success and what you need to, you know, to really land those amazing pieces of coverage. And so I kind of cut my teeth on the straight media relations side of things because, um, you know, the media environment in Australia is is. it's kind of a little bubble, right? Like there's only three kind of TV networks in any, you know, three or four in any given city. Um, And, you know, there's a handful of of people who are really health specialists, journalists or media. And so you really get to know them quite well, um, you know, as you are coming up and you're talking to them all the time. And so, um, you know, for me, that was amazing. And I really got to travel a lot with the the job that I was in. And so I I pretty much, I saw more of Australia than my cousin did who, who lived there. And, you know, because we were going to places like Alice Springs or Perth for different conferences or, you know, the Gold Coast for the the annual pharmacy conference or, you know, whatever it was. Um, So, yeah, for me, being able to to get that experience as part of that smaller team where you have to learn to just be scrappy and, and kind of learn on the fly. That was amazing for me. We actually haven't touched on how you got that first full-time paid role for you, Ishtar, at Palin Communications. How did that role come to you? Yeah, so, I mean, similar to to Laura, I had done a lot of um, kind of looking around and thinking about the type of role that I wanted. I was really, obviously, it was my first full-time job out of uni, and and I kind of jumped on the plane as soon as I could after graduation. And so, um, you know, I, I wasn't really set on a specific industry or type of PR. I was kind of open to getting experience in different sectors. Um, when I was at Edelman, you know, kind of with my internship, I was more in the corporate and consumer teams at the time. And I had thought that I was more of that kind of traditional brand PR type of person. Um, but, you know, as I was speaking to different agencies, I was really open about the fact that I wanted to stay. And the visa I was on at the time was um, a what you had one year, but you could really only work somewhere for six months before they needed to sponsor you. So I went into all of my interviews pretty transparent about that. And, you know, knowing that I was going to, you know, I needed to work hard and prove myself. But I, I basically said, you know, I don't want to take a position if at the end of the six months, it's kind of like a, you know, wave a goodbye and <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Like I really wanted to stay longer term 
And so, um, you know, I interviewed with a few different agencies and I turned down a few because that wasn't going to be an option um, for me there. And yeah, when I ended up having a chat with um, just a casual coffee, really, with with Martin, who's the MD at at Palin. Um, And, you know, I just got a really good feeling from him, you know, chatting, chatting about the role and, you know, the opportunity there. And I didn't know that much about kind of health PR at the time, you know, other than kind of reading health stories and always, you know, kind of being interested in, in, in that type of kind of high science. And so, um, you know, I, I took the job and I ended up just loving it really. And it's funny because at the time I didn't, I didn't really see myself in, in healthcare comms necessarily, but now I really couldn't see myself in any other sector. I love it. Laura, what was your visa experience like? Did you get sponsored by the company you were employed by? Yeah, my visa experience was really um, simple, I think. Um, I was sponsored or kind of came out with a view to sponsorship after um, my first interview in the UK and then um, had met the team a couple of times um, whilst I'd been in Sydney just kind of travelling and experiencing the city. Um, So my experience was super, super simple. Um, I did switch um, agencies um, and again, that was quite a simple process for kind of the next agency just to um kind of pick up the um the visa so it, for me it was super super easy um but again it was always a um a concern coming out and not being able to get it but i think um because i'd done the planning and the thinking beforehand i kind of had an idea of which agencies um would be able to and which wouldn't what were your other learnings laura in terms of or experiences really in terms of setting yourself up, setting yourself up from a personal admin point of view so bank accounts or um, tax file numbers, which is what you need in Australia to be able to work. Was that, what was that process like for you? Well, I think, you know, we work in PR comms, we're all very organised um, and, that, you know, that's kind of what we do for a living is kind of we organise our projects and, and so I think that I kind of used that and um, made sure that I kind of knew as much as I possibly could ahead of coming over. Um, I again had done so much research um, and kind of the government websites were so helpful um, and then also I think I um, owe a lot to the office manager of the first agency that I worked with because she also had moved over quite a few um, Brits to their office um, and so she'd done it a, a thousand and one times and so was able to kind of pick holes in what I'd thought I was meant to be doing. And she's like, well, actually, you know, this is what you need to do. And this is the form, not that form. So um, I had a little bit of help when I landed as well, which also made things a lot easier for me. And Laura, how did you tackle building up media contacts? You'd obviously left England having had a wealth of experience there and, and, you know, a whole catalogue of media contacts underneath your belt. And now you're moving to a whole new territory. Um, and starting from scratch again, what was your process to kind of embed yourself into the media landscape in Australia? So I was quite lucky in that when I joined um, the agency, they were super busy um, and there were a lot of projects that were ongoing um, that needed media discussions so it was really about kind of trying to book in those face-to-face coffees literally the you know a quick coffee catch-up saying right I've got these four stories you know and having something to go to the media with Um, and I think because we were able to I was able to go to them with stories and with content that was relevant um, they were really easy to and open to kind of the next meeting and then the next session so um, I think being able to go to them with those stories straight off was quite useful Um, and then I think it was very much just a case of um, 
I think media is a lot friendlier in um, Australia than it potentially is in the UK, especially health media. Um, we have a few characters um, in the UK, um, but I think everybody in Australia was super, super friendly. Um, and I think that, you know, you could have a really nice discussion and a chat and sometimes you would just pick up the phone and have a chat. There are a couple of um, contacts that I would generally just pick up and ask how they were doing um, because, you know, some people um, were in a, a similar situation in that they'd moved from um, the UK and were actually now in a publication in Australia so um, it was kind of sharing that shared experience um, you know going for drinks but then also I think it is very much about being able to back up those discussions with credible content and being able to give them stories that were relevant and making sure that you had everything that they needed so it wasn't just about the stats it's the you know the expert it's the patient um, it's kind of the full package um, so I think that helped build credibility pretty quickly. And for you, Ishtar, I mean, obviously this was a start, this was a start of your career. So what was your experience like? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was pretty similar in, in that, you know, it's kind of you dive in feet first, don't you? Um, and you kind of, it's kind of, you know, you, you learn on the fly. Um, but you know, I think definitely with media, you know, a great rule of thumb, which Laura's kind of covered is that, you know, just treat them like people because they are just, you know, a, a person just like you. They're not just, you know, kind of media in quotation marks, you know, and so you don't always have to be going to some them with something or an ask for something. Um, but, you know, I think making sure that when, when you do bring them something, it is newsworthy. <laughs> it does have a, you know, a good angle. You have spokespeople, you have content, um, you know, it just builds that trust, you know, and that credibility with them. So I think, you know, the more that you can understand what they need to do their job um, and kind of meet them in the middle with what you have, then the better, because, you know, that is where that great partnership comes from. So I think, you know, if you just go into any of those conversations with that in the back of your mind, I think that's great. I think, you know, generally what, what Laura said also is, you know, I would agree with, I think most journalists in Australia are lovely. Most media contacts are lovely. Obviously never call the radio station <laughs> on, you know, on the hour, on the 15 minutes, you know, during the, the news break, cause they will yell at you. But <laughs> like if you, you stick to the normal rules, then yeah, I think everyone's generally just lovely people. So to finish up our little Australia portion of this chat, um, Ishta, I'll go to you first and then to you, Laura. Uh, for people who are keen to come and work in Australia, are there any kind of key tips you have for, um, for making that transition smooth, whether that's in advance or arriving or when they do touch down on our sunny shores? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it, it was, I was lucky because I had some family, um, you know, my cousins, I had a bit, I had friends that I had made, um, you know, f both during my program, but also people that I had known who um, were Australian that I had met when I was traveling um, who, who I then knew. And so I kind of felt like I was coming into a kind of familiar environment. So even though it was, you know, obviously a big change, I did feel like there were, um, you know, people around that I could rely on in that way. And that was really important. I think that is probably the hardest part about moving country, you know, having done it twice now, I think, you know, it is, it's, it's a challenge and, you know, not everyone's in the same, you know, I want to make friends, lifelong friends kind of mindset. And so I think you really need to um, kind of be a yes person, right? So if your colleagues ask you to say, you know, to go see a play after work or something like say yes, because, you know, you just never know who you're going to meet along the way and, or who 
who's going to become your kind of your really good friends and and work is one of the you know going straight into a job is one of the best ways to kind of create some of those friendships right away um you know because they're the people you see every day and that you create those bonds with because i think you know for someone who hasn't lived overseas it can be quite isolating at the beginning because you know everything is new you know as you say it's like finding a house finding which neighborhood you want to live in what where the restaurants that you like like you know just all of those those little things that you take for granted in a place that you grew up um you know so i think it is just being being easy on yourself on the transition that it's going to take a while and you know what i think people don't realize is that it usually takes like a year to kind of fully settle in to you know get comfortable with with a new place and then and so you might not actually even like it that much for the first year um but it is super rewarding and you know obviously you 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 come to love it and you know obviously it takes different people different time but i think just giving yourself a bit of grace on the transition as well is really important and laura I was echo um, which I said I think being open to any and every experience um, be proactive in trying new things um, and I think for me moving to Australia wasn't just about a new work experience I did want to kind of have a new life experience as well so you know I tried things that you wouldn't necessarily do in the UK paddleboarding you know I started running and doing the Bondi to Kaji coastal walk as a run which was super difficult at the time um but yeah just trying new things meeting new people joining groups um I joined a few different kind of groups in the in the hope of meeting new people um and I had friends that had recommended groups that I should join um there's one was an Irish football team I was terrible so didn't last very long in there but um I think it is just try as much as you can um kind of keep an open mind and don't um just say no to something because you've never done it before um so yeah it's just all about embracing the experiences okay thank you lady so I'm going to move on to uh, the transition to England now so Ishtar I'll start with you you and I think your first role was with was with Edelman who you're with now when you came when you moved to London has was that something that you had arranged in in advance of arriving in London yeah, so I, I think originally when I was, I kind of knew I wanted to move to London um, with my partner at the time. Um, he had a UK passport, so that was kind of um, where we were heading. Um, and I was just going to kind of finish up my job and then we were going to, you know, maybe travel for a couple of weeks and then start looking. And what, what I ended up doing was actually remembering that uh, the UK is quite expensive um, and so I, I ended up doing all of my um, applications um, and interviews while I was in Australia um, so it was actually quite tiring because you know I interviewed with quite a few of the t- you know kind of big agencies I was coming from a small specialized agency in Australia that was you know kind of uh, around the size of like 12 um, and I, I, I knew I wanted to kind of go the complete opposite way and go to you know kind of a, a really big agency and see you know how I liked it and what the difference was like and um, so you know I interviewed with a lot but because of the time difference all of my interviews were kind of 6, 7, 8, 9 p.m. at night and so um, you know they're all kind of 45 minutes to an hour and you kind of do them back to back to back and so you know I went through like three weeks where it was just kind of <laughs> interview after interview after interview you know two or three rounds for each agency presentations and stuff like that and um but I'm really glad I did and you know I ended up uh coming back to Edelman even though you know I think 
I had it actually was a connection that I had from Australia. You know, just the I, I know the HR, um, the head of HR in the Edelman Sydney office really well, and um, she kind of just pointed me in the direction, um, and I had a kind of casual coffee conversation to start, um, and then went through the you know kind of the the full interview process, and yeah, I'm really glad I, I ended up back at Edelman. It really is you know a family agency in every sense of the word, and um, yeah, I've been here the whole time, and yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. So considering you knew you had a a job to move to, I imagine that makes things a little bit more comfortable when you arrive in a country. Um, did Did you have, I guess, the full understanding of which clients you'd be working on? Did you spend much time coming up to coming up to speed on your new roster of clients before you arrived? Or was that stuff kind of all saved for when you when you got to the country? Yeah, it was a bit of both. So I think, you know, it kind of uh, can change obviously depending on like you know where resourcing needs are but I think you know what kind of got me over the line is that one of my favorite clients when I was in Australia was um, pet care on pet care so I loved working on pets I actually ended up doing a lot with like guide dogs Australia um, you know working on different kind of uh, pet health campaigns and um, you know and so when I went uh, when I was moving to London what really got me over the line was that they had just won the the kind of the Mars pet care account and and I loved that and so you know they were saying that I could work on that and so you know for me I really you know that tipped me over the edge (laughs) in terms of being able to work on something that was slightly outside of the norm for a health account and and, you know it's been something that I've worked on ever since um, during my time here and I, I, I really love it and it's it's Kind of straddles the line between um, straight health and consumer health, um, and that's kind of my sweet spot. I really, you know, for me, I love the global public health stuff and the pet health stuff, and you know, they're kind of both niche in their own way, I guess. But um, yeah, for me, that, that's what I really love to do. And Laurie, when you came back to Australia, you so you left Edelman in Sydney and um, joined Edelman in London. Was that an easy transfer that happened between or did you have to kind of apply from a job and start from scratch? Um, it was an easy transfer. Again, it was very much that kind of the two HR teams discussed and, um, you know, we do have a global mobility scheme. So um, that does make it a little bit easier. Having said that, there has to be a role, obviously. Um, you can't just go into an agency and, you know, add on a, a headcount without the, ne- without the need. But um, so you do um, go through a kind of a mini interview process. Um, but at the same time, I did interview for other agencies just in case there wasn't going to be a role available. Um, but thankfully there was and um, I'd met a few of the team um, already kind of via kind of Skype and Zoom at the time so um, that was super super helpful to kind of get to know the team before you were coming Um, and again I think as Ishtar said understanding the clients that you're going to be working on was also kind of a big draw Um, I kind of had preferred a few different um, projects that had been mentioned so for me it just made sense to kind of continue my move with Edelman versus going to kind of another agency. And with you both well Ishtar moving to London and um, Laura returning to London uh, you'd mentioned about the size of the teams being quite different between London and Sydney. Were there any other key differences, um, especially for you, Ishtar, Australia being where you established your career? What were the kind of key differences that you found moving from an agency in Sydney to an agency in London besides the size of the team? Yeah, I think for me it was it was the scale of the work. I think, you know, we've kind of mentioned it already, but, you know, 
it, you don't really get global projects or even regional projects um, in Australia. You just don't. You get Australian work and a little bit of Australian New Zealand work, but even you know not not that much of that. And um, the the regional projects kind of go to Singapore or China, um, or you know we even do some regional uh, APAC regional projects out of London. And so um, you know for me. I kind of got to a stage where I really wanted to be doing that type of work and um, it just, you know, isn't that possible in Australia. And so um, when I made the move, you know, I really wanted to be doing that type of global um, global project. And, you know, that's that's kind of what I do now is, is really focus on that, the, those glo- that global work. And, um, you know, it was really either New York or, or London at the time where a lot of that work was, was housed. And so that's kind of why I ended up in London. But yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, a, a reframe in the way of thinking um, when you approach those projects, um, which was a little bit nerve wracking at the time, because I think when you haven't done it before, um, you always kind of second guess yourself and you're like, I think I know what I'm doing, but do I actually know what I'm doing? And um, and then you get there and it's totally fine. Um, but I think, you know, have just understanding that that is a difference um, is, is helpful um, in how you approach, you know, your kind of critical thinking and your um, st- strategic thinking as well. And I've got no doubt that you applied the same principles we've already discussed about building media contacts, you know, whether you're building media contacts at the start of your career or midway through or towards the end. I firmly believe it's the same philosophy that you need to be considering and utilising. We've already discussed that. But were there any other differences in terms of establishing media contacts in in England? I think you know, it is, it's tougher because they, I think there's more competition. Um, you know, it's just, su- it's super fast paced. Um, you know, the news that's coming in, it's not just the UK, but it's also Europe keeping a pulse on, you know, what's happening elsewhere, which, you know, all media do, but I think to a different extent, um, in the UK. And so, yeah, I think cutting into those and um, creating those relationships off the bat is a bit more difficult. Um, I think, you know, it also is a product of, you know, what level you come in at, how much of that pitching that you do, I, th- I think as well. It's like, you know, obviously we have, um, I have a team who, you know, ha- we have media specialists within the team as well who just do more of that day-to-day now than I would do. But um, I do some of that because I just, I like to do that pitching and I still get that, you know, that little um, kind of like high kick when you get a piece of coverage over the line. Um, but I just do less of it day to day than I, you know, have done in the past. And so I think um, there's there's also a bit of that thrown in, um, which makes it more challenging to create those relationships. But I think for me, you know, and Laura will laugh, but um, within the team, I'm always banging on about networking and events and um, encouraging people to go to the, you know, to things in our industry and, and outside of our industry, because, you know, that's where you meet people. So I'm, I'm quite active, um, you know, with our, the PRCA, which is our uh, major industry group. So, you know, I was active in PRIA um, in Australia and it was, a, you know, it's, it's a similar um, organization, um, but really it's lobbying for, you know, PR and comms people. And so, and bring bringing those people together, um, but also helping build those networks. Um, we do a lot of work with the Healthcare Communications Association, the HCA, the Medical Journalists Association, the MJA. Um, and, you know, that those are made up of a lot of media people, journalists, um, you know, people who are on both sides, agency, in-house, media. And so, you know, it's really 
putting yourself out there, going to those professional development events, going to networking, going to the awards, all that kind of stuff um, is where you, you kind of you meet people and then you see the same faces and you build those relationships. But I think, you know, it's it's honestly down to time. And so I think you can't you can't expect to come in and, and, and know everyone and, and be best friends with everyone right away because it's not going to happen like that. But I think, you know, it's not going to happen if you don't go either so I think the more that you can um, go to those things or now you know when people are a bit more restricted just dropping someone a line and saying I loved that story that you did on x you know um, if you're ever writing about y you know just let me know and it doesn't have to be any more you know kind of long or lengthy than that you don't have to pretend to be their best friend um, and they don't like that (laughs) but you can you know acknowledge that they do great work Um, I was chatting to one of the kind of uh, freelance journalist who who works as part of our media team, and she was saying, you know, journalists never get told that they do a good job, right? They file story after story after story, and they're like, you know, and, and that's their job. And so no one ever says, yeah, this is a great piece of work, good job. So if you can if you can see a piece and and really mean it and show that you've read it, right, and drop them a line or tweet at them and say, I loved this piece, you know, that is something nice that they they do, and then they'll recognize your name or your face, you know, on your profile picture or whatever it is, um, and they might be slightly more inclined to hear from you next time um so i think you know it's just those those normal relationship building things that you can do to help which i think people forget about yeah i think that's a really good point and it's one of the things that i learned um certainly not at the start of my career maybe you know i've been doing pr for maybe 20 years now and i learned it maybe 10 years in was always being credit with journalists um, so never feel like you're taking something or wanting to something from them all the time, being credit, whether you're, you know, just dropping them a note to say, I love that article and that's it. I don't need anything from this. I'm just giving you something or, you know, I'm so sorry. I, you saw on Instagram that your dog died and I'm letting you know I'm thinking of you or whatever it may be, you know, just being able to give something to them or, or hearing a tip off that again, is unrelated to your campaigns or your clients, but something that you think they might be interested in. I think it's a really, it's a really good approach. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and we'll get to salary and cost of living just after this question, so I expect people will be quite interested in that when it comes to London. But Ishta, when it came to setting yourself up in London, again, from that personal admin side of things, what was that process like in terms of finding a flat, find, you know, finding somewhere to live, setting yourself up with bank accounts? Again, was that quite straightforward and there was enough kind of resources on the, uh, online to be able to make that process pretty easy? Um, I wouldn't say it's easy. <laughs> I think, you know, I'm part of the this community on Facebook. It's called Aussies in London. Um, and it's kind of a running joke about how hard it is um, or convoluted that they make it because it's kind of like you need to have um, a job to get a, an address, but you need an address to get, to get a bank account, but you need, you know, like all these things are connected and they all kind of lead back to each other in a bit of a circle. And so I think, you know, I was lucky in the fact that, you know, obviously I was coming into a job. So I had that and I was able to, you can kind of find a house pretty you know kind of an apartment to live in like pretty easily um and then you know and I so I think is that can kind of give you a leg up but if you don't have a job it can it can be quite difficult to to find a place or you sometimes you'll have to outlay you know six months of rent up front which people don't realize and you know that's a big chunk of money so um you know I think what whatever you can do to kind of set yourself up um and be a bit easier that's great but you know there are a lot of great flat share um kind of things around and there you know so I live in um Islington which is around Angel um but there's like Hackney spaces where you know people put up their rooms and um you know you can you can find 
ways to kind of get around it. But, you know, I think I it was such a faff to kind of open a, a normal bank account that I didn't do that for about a year and a half because it was just so much effort and you have to go into the branch and be there. It literally took about two hours, I think. So it is, you know, they can kind of make it a bit annoying <laughs> in terms of all of the the red tape that you have to go through um so I think just be prepared for that there is a lot of form filling and um you know when I did it it was obviously pre-pandemic so there was a lot of in-person um meetings that you had to go to to get your NI number right and and things like that and then they you have to wait for them to post you things hard copy so it does take a bit of time and I think it ended, ended up taking like four months for me to get my national insurance number and that was a pretty quick turnaround in terms of when they could send it to me and Ishta you mentioned you didn't have a normal bank account I think you said for 18 months or something so what do you what did you mean by that what did you how did you exist in the meantime so I by normal I mean like a, a Barclays or a Lloyd's or you know the, like a traditional bank um it's actually you know one of the tips that I had had gotten from people who who I knew who had moved um was like you know there's like Moni's and Monzo um which is they're really good for people who are just moving over um and it's not a physical bank um it's kind of like an online bank um but they give you they put you know you you get a card and you can take out money from the ATM and it functions as a normal bank account you can get paid into it um like a normal bank account um but it's just kind of like an online bank you just don't have you know kind of the in branch services that you would have with like another one so in the meantime you can kind of set that up and start getting paid into that um while you get you know know, your house set up your address like all that kind of stuff um so yeah i think uh, you know you'll see a lot of Aussies in London um, kind of have Monzo and, um, as their kind of first bank. And then, you know, as they, they, they stay here for a while, then tra- they transition to, you know, what I'm calling like a, a normal traditional bank. Great tip. Uh, so, Laura, we'll move on to salaries now. When you first moved to Australia, how different did you find the salaries? I think from recollection, correct me if I'm wrong, you went from an account manager role to an account manager role. Is that right? When you moved from London to Sydney? No, I think I was um account director. I can't remember. I think it was like a slightly um account director or um senior account manager to account director. Um but salaries, I think my main um kind of piece of advice is never ever translate back. So don't think about things in pounds or because it's never going to work. Um I think for me Sydney did feel reasonably priced um in comparison to London. Kind of accommodation was um I felt a lot cheaper than London. You got a nicer apartment for the money you were spending um versus London. But then other things were more expensive. So clothes um and and that type of thing like import things were obviously a lot more expensive versus the UK um so I think for me it was just it was actually more about the mindset of not translating everything um or converting everything back into pounds and just focusing on kind of the the Australian dollar um I think the one thing that shocked me the most was kind of those ten dollar avocados when they're out of season so um I think it was also things like learning to shop seasonally which in the UK you don't need to do because you know we get everything and it's always as pretty much the same price um so it doesn't really fluctuate with seasons so um learning to shop seasonally was kind of also a good um piece of advice I got from a friend um that I'd lived with in London who was Australian um and she'd moved back home and kind of gave me some some tips on kind of 
which shops to, you know, which supermarket to shop in and, and that type of thing. So um, I think from a cost perspective, they are fairly comparable, um, but it's just some things are more expensive than others um, and then vice versa. And Ishta, for you, the cost of living, um, was that a, a bit of a shock or were you quite prepared for how expensive things were going to be in London? <laughs> Um, I think you mentally prepare, but you're never prepared <laughs> because just the exchange rate, you know, is is not great when you're going Australia to London. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, you need to have definitely have some savings and and probably more than you think you'll need um, because it does. If you're not going straight into a job, it doesn't last you that lo- uh, long if it's everything's being doubled. So, yeah, I would say, you know, when, when we were well, really thinking about this question, exactly what Laura said is what I wrote down. I was like, you know, um, don't do the conversion in your head because it just makes you sad, um, you know, and it's kind of it. it relatively the same cost but in pounds and so (laughs) you know what is a four dollar coffee or four pound coffee in the morning ends up being eight you know close to eight eight au dollars and so um you know it it can be a bit confronting so it's good to know that going in um and just know that you know at the beginning things are going to be expensive especially if you're using you know money that you have in in au dollars that in, in pounds but once you start making pounds um it's it's fine right it's it's pretty comparable um but yeah I think at the beginning it's a bit of there's definitely a bit of shock there for sure and for I, I, both of you here um when you take out the cost of living and the comparison and you know converting back etc um did you did you find the jobs were paid comparably you know roughly what you were getting as an account manager can you can you make a comparison like that? I guess Laura, I'll start with you there. That did you feel like oh you earn more as a account director in Sydney versus London, or is that just too difficult to determine? Um, I always felt I had more disposable income in Sydney, um, but then I came home and um, you know you've always got more kind of responsibilities in your home country for whatever reason. Um, but I think on the whole, salaries kind of did convert fairly equally. So it was very, um, from my experience, quite like for like. Um, so kind of taking out the conversions aside, um, it did feel that you were getting a, a fair salary, whether you're in Sydney or the UK, they were fairly, fairly similar. And you'd agree with that, Ishta? Yeah, I definitely would agree. I think, you know, in the in London, maybe there's it's it's a bigger city there's and I do more travel probably um for leisure so I think you know as Laura says there's like I think there's more things to to spend on but I guess there's things to spend on in any any country so but maybe you know for me here the stuff that Laura was saying that she was you know she had done and was trying to get it you know kind of get a new experience are the things that I love right like travel's opening up again so I'm loving being able to kind of just just pop to Paris for a weekend like I did last weekend and you know kind of start to do some of those those normal things again and so yeah definitely um there's never a shortage of things to spend to spend your money on in London um for sure great restaurants and travel and all that kind of stuff so but I think you know if you're looking at just the salary itself, I think they're, you know, it's a, it's a much of a muchness, to be honest. And Laura, when it comes to getting jobs uh, in Australia or England, um, I guess what are your kind of summary of your top tips of making that process as pain-free as possible? 
I think it's one, just do as much research as you possibly can online, look at, you know, social profiles, um, speak to recruiters um, as much as you can, because they are super, super helpful. Um, I think beg, steal and borrow contacts from anyone that you know that may have already made the move um, and, you know, try and get introductions to people via friends. Um, I've had quite a few of the girls that I worked with in Australia, you know, contact me about um, friends that they had that were moving over to London and kind of putting us in touch and giving, you know, having a bit of a, a quick chat and giving some advice and um, on kind of what agencies and that type of thing. Um, but I think it is really that whole research, speak to people and then use your contacts as much as you possibly can because everyone's, you know, I think now we're in an age where a lot of people have moved um, or want to move and so we've got experiences to share and you know learnings that we can share and people are really happy to share um, kind of information and learnings um, because you know it helps other people so you know that's what I found anyway um, it's just literally do as much research speak to people and kind of um, share your contacts and and um, share your insights. Anything to add Ishtar? Yeah, no, I think that's that's totally right. I think, you know, you can't underestimate the power of, of a friend of a friend, right? Even even if it's not professionally, but, you know, just having, um, you know, there's a- endless kind of friend dates, right? Someone that you know who's who's moved um, that, you know, has a friend that's also moved. And so you're kind of, you kind of go for a coffee. And, you know, some of the, the people that I'm closest with, my, my really good friends here are Australians, other Aussies here that I met through, you know, a mutual friend. And, um, you know, I think some, the same goes for, you know, professional relationships. I think, you know, if you've worked with people in Australia and built up that kind of trust, credibility, right, like that, um, uh, that cred, and then, you know, you kind of don't want to just like leave it to the side. I think it's important that you, you tell people that you're going, you know, I put a, I put a thing up on LinkedIn about, um, you know, maybe a month before I was leaving saying, you know, I'm going to be going, obviously, once I'd handed my notice in. Um, but, you know, that was an opportunity for people to kind of tell people that I was going. And, you know, a few people reached out to me off the back of that and said, Oh, you know, we've, we've got an agency in, in London, you know, if you want to kind of have a, have a coffee chat and, and see what you think. And so I, you know, it's a great way to just put the feelers out and, and have those conversations and also just take the time to really figure out where you want to end up. So, you know, moving countries is a big step. So you want to make sure that your work or your job that, that you end up in is, is, is a good one and it's going to help you love it versus the other way around. So, yeah, I think it's, um, that's also important as well. And last question for you both. Do you think it is valuable to have at least a couple of years experience before you try and move overseas? And is there a period of experience that you think would make it a little bit easier to secure a job? I moved overseas to um, to London uh, and I only had 18 months of experience. I, I grew up in Western Australia and so I worked there in television publicity in an assistant publicity role for 18 months and I moved to London and it took me a year to get into television publicity there. Um, so I did a lot of temp secretary roles for a year, which I actually really enjoyed. Um, and did a little bit of contract freelance work at some agencies, but it took me a full year. And that again, the job that I got, which I was in for the whole time I was there for the remaining four years or so, came through uh, one of the secretary temp jobs that I was doing. Her sister happened to be a publicist for a television production company and they needed someone to cover her holiday 
leave and so you know it was just it didn't even come through from me applying for a job or seeing a job available it just came through one of those experiences so I know it can be tough to get in with 18 months what would the two of you recommend in an ideal world when it comes to making it a little bit easier for yourself Ishtar I'll start with you yeah I mean I think I mean, I've done it both ways, right? Like I've done it straight out of uni with, you know, kind of only, you know, kind of part-time job experience or internship experience. And I've also then done it, you know, at kind of account director level as well. Um, And I would say, you know, there are pros and cons to both, right? I think um, the one challenge is that um, if you're looking to be sponsored, right, if you're looking to stay somewhere for um, more than just the amount of time on your visa, then um, that there are parameters um, depending on the country on the salary that you have to be on to be able to do that. So the company has to commit to specific salary baseline um, and that can be hard to do when you're super junior. So I think that's just something to keep in the back of your mind, um, you know, that that it's often not the company that doesn't want to sponsor you, but it's that it is a significant cost. Um, and so because of that, uh, that they, they, you know, kind of have parameters around what levels that they will will sponsor at and so it's just something to think about I don't think it it, you know it it rules it out completely but it's definitely something to consider you know I think there's pros and cons to both and um you know people can do it both ways obviously um but I think it does help to have a bit of time um you know under your belt or a bit of experience or if it's not you know kind of PR and comms experience at least um experience as you say that has transference transferable skills that you can you know frame in a way that that is a you know a pro when you're applying for for positions I think um it was interesting I only came up against uh, a couple of places when I was going the other way when I was going to London um, of people who were like, you don't have London experience. So, you know, we're kind of, we might bring you at a, in at a kind of lower level than what you are now. And for me, you know, I was, I'm not going to take a step backwards <laughs> uh, career wise. Um, and so I, I turned those places down. Um, yeah. So I think it's also kind of knowing your worth as well. Cause I think there are some companies who will see you trying to move and 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 try to take advantage of that and by kind of lowballing you salary wise or lowballing you kind of level wise and so I think it's just it's good to to keep your eyes open um about you know the level the salaries that kind of stuff and and just know what um you know what you bring to the table and and what your worth is and um and you know kind of what the market value is as well. Yeah, and it's also back to your point about having some savings. You are coming over with very limited savings. You are going to feel like you're going to have to take that first job that gets put your way and it might not be the right job or it might be a position lower. But if at least you have a little bit more tucked away, um, you might feel a little bit more confident to turn down the ones that you feel are not quite right. Laura, anything else to add to that? No, I think in an ideal world, you'd have, you know, a few years experience. But I think um, if you can do internships and get that work experience, that does go a long way as well. So um, I wouldn't discount that. Okay, thank you both. Is there anything that you think we haven't covered or that you think would be worthwhile sharing? No, I mean, I think obviously for both of us, it 
it was an amazing experience, right? And so, you know, obviously there's lots of things to consider when you're planning and, you know, it's, it doesn't just happen by accident most of the time. But um, yeah, I think, you know, for people who are considering a leap, I think it's absolutely, you know, kind of the experience of a lifetime and, um, you know, you can make such good friends, you can make such good co- work colleagues and um, have such an amazing time in terms of the, the lived experience and the, the professional experience that you'll have. So yeah, I can only... Um, you know, only advocate for that very strongly. Yeah, I mean, I certainly, you know, having had Australian, you know, 18 months of Australian experience and then, you know, four years, well, five years working in in London, but four years really in, in the sector that I was originally in meant that when I came back and I moved to Sydney and I'd never been to Sydney before, um, but moving there, uh, the experience that I had in London really put me in a really strong position. So I had, what was that, a combination of like five and a half years of television publicity experience, but that experience was quite different in in London to what it was in Australia. And I think that was really powerful for my career. It, it exposed me to a lot of opportunities, you know, even juggling media and the number of, you know, media outlets and the particular shows that I were work, uh, that I was working on at the time were very water cooler shows. They were um, uh, Footballers Wise, which was huge um, a long time ago. Um, so I worked for... Uh, I remember that. Do you? Yeah, so I worked for Shed Productions. <laughs> I used to love it. Yeah, everyone did. It was fantastic. And they so they produced Footballers Wives and um and Bad Girls, which also was oh um, hugely popular there. So <laughs> yeah, so I mean that was an amazing experience and you're juggling getting these these actors in all the weekly magazines plus photography spreads and you know like you said there wasn't a lot of tv or radio involved it was very much print oriented but um yeah that kind of experience and um juggling people and juggling personalities and stuff really set myself up well for when I came back to Australia so you know I certainly echo what you said Isha and I imagine precisely what you were probably going to say anyway Laura is that these experiences overseas are a really fantastic opportunity to broaden your experiences and bed down what the experience you do have and and to grow on that and then be in an even stronger position when you if if and when you do want to return home yeah and I would say I mean something that's specific to our industry but you know in in Australia the environment the healthcare environment is tightly regulated um, and it is the same actually in the UK and those are two of the some of the only countries where it is that highly regulated um and so you know that really serves people well if you're in healthcare communications it's it's actually such a valuable skill i mean obviously the codes are different but the general principles are, are the same and um so having that baseline understanding if you if you get that in either place you know doing the crisscross is actually you know kind of less hard than you think and and you have a lot of really valuable skills um in knowing that kind of that highly regulated environment so you know i think for you know that's that's specific to healthcare comms but um and kind of medcoms but i think for us you know that 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 really helps as well Mm. yeah interesting insight Okay, Isha and Laura, thank you so much for sharing your experience today. I hope this has given people a little bit more perspective on what it might be like to move to Australia or England and I guess some transparency around what those experiences may be like. If anyone has any additional questions for either of you, are you open to receiving some messages via LinkedIn if I was to share your LinkedIn details at the end of the show notes? Definitely, definitely. Reach out to us. We love it. Yeah, of course. Great. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, I'll also compile the key information from this episode into the show notes, which you'll find on the website. And if you are looking to move to the US, I'll be doing a podcast episode on that in the coming months. But once again, thank you both so much for your time. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the PR pod. For more expert tips on working in PR, head to www.theprpod.com. 